0: Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined as always by my guy, Eric Kane. Tennessee coming off a sweep of Mississippi State as the regular season comes to an end. And Eric, what a, a dominating weekend of baseball it was for the Vols. I, I mentioned this to Brent Hubbs in our round the horn on Volquest.com. And that's that I thought it was just a really complete weekend you had the one error by Luke Lipschius on Saturday in the series finale but aside from that you played great defense all weekend long there were no base running mistakes um the, the pitching was, was tremendous and the hitting was obviously tremendous as well as, and we'll, we'll get into game one, but anytime you score 27 runs in a game, that that's, uh that's pretty good. That, that'll that play. And uh, you, you scored 10 runs on, on Saturday in the, the game three finale. So overall a, a great weekend for the Vols.
1: Yeah, that'll, uh, that'll play. That, that's one way to put it. um <laughs> Gosh, I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing. Like I was joking with you, cause I was going to do around the horn with you on Thursday and I'm still waking up at 4:30 in the morning. I'm just like, could this game get over? But no, they just kept scoring and scoring. But uh, good weekend, yeah, good pitching, good weekend. Uh, it's it's what you wanted, right? It was a clean weekend to where everything was, you know, good defense, hitting was there, comfort behind win. Overall, the bullpen pitched pretty well. I mean, this is what she needed, you know, heading into uh, what you hope will be a you know five day run throughout Hoover. So it was another another series sweep and a good way for Tennessee to finish off a historic regular season.
0: Absolutely, and can't wait to dive into that. This is going to be a fun week, Eric. This is one of my favorite weeks of the year. You know me personally, and for those who follow me know that I am just a sports nut in general. There's not really a sport that I don't like or don't watch. For Today, for example, I was watching Lady Ball Softball. I was watching the PGA Championship checking out on some major league baseball, a little NASCAR action, just <laughs> a little bit of everything. But uh, th- this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. The SEC tournament is an absolute blast down in Hoover. You'd be amazed at all the fans that that show up and And Eric and I have some great content planned for the week. So uh, that'll be great. And, and just a heads up, tonight's podcast, I am recording in good old Huntsville, Alabama. So I'm uh, going to try to fight through some some possible wi-fi or or storm issues but uh we'll we'll get it rocking and and get it rolling but eric i want to start here before we kind of go into the nuanced details of of the game to games over the weekend your biggest takeaway from the weekend uh, because mine was was pretty simple uh is and it's kind of a combined takeaway and and that's that chase dolander is the best pitcher in the country uh, i am willing to, to take that to the grave and and die on that hill but also blade tidwell finally looked like blade tidwell and if that is the one-two punch that tennessee continues to get the the remainder of the season however long the season is i i think the season is going to go as long as they would prefer Fort to go
1: yeah that's that's exactly where i was going to go and it's something we spoke on following game two on friday night and uh uh, he was you know, he was great, you know, three innings out of the pen, 42 pitches, five strikeouts, no walks. Uh, I thought he looked dominant, touched triple digits at the time, and I mean, he looked really, really good. And so uh, my biggest takeaway was Blade Tidwell looked like, again, the phrase that I hate saying because he's only a sophomore, or, you know, for sophomore vintage Blade Tidwell. And so um, I thought that was incredible. As you mentioned, Dolander was incredible—six <laughs> hitless innings—and it, it made no sense to keep him in the ball game. So I mean, like you, you have no issue there with what was going on. But that was good to see. And then you know, Beam—you know—coming back, and of course, he left the he left the ball game with the lead intact, which was good. But uh, you know, getting their guys back in there, continue, continuing to be smart with the pitching. But overall, my biggest takeaway, same as yours, Blake well, he looked really, really good on Friday. Yes,
0: yeah, sh- just that that duo, man is is I, I think it's going to be really lethal uh, here in the postseason. And, and I would not look in too much to Blake Tidwell coming out of the bullpen. I, I don't think that that is going to be the plan uh, going forward. I, I would be very surprised if Blake Tidwell does not start game one in Hoover on Wednesday. And, and we'll discuss that down the road. But I think that's going to be the, the one-two punch. I, I think that the purpose of him coming out of the bullpen, and it worked out that Tennessee was in a close game and Blade Tidwell closed out the game but the plan going into that particular day was to get Blade Tidwell two to three innings assuming the situation in the game uh, allowed them to do so and that was the case and then it just so happened that Blade was just dominant as Drew Gilbert hits a, a very clutch two-run home run and, and gives Tennessee the lead and, and Blade closes it out there but in terms of the, the dynamic duo, if you want to call it that. I, I really think that's going to be the case here in the postseason. I, I think Chase Dolander is as good as he has been all season long. I, I don't think that's much of a take. I think that's just pretty obvious. And and you and I on the podcast last week, the preview going into Mississippi State and post Georgia, we, we both felt that, hey, Blake Tidwell, he's, he's about to, to turn the corner. He made some improvements last week and progressed. And you certainly saw that this weekend as he looked the best that he has this season. And you mentioned why you hate saying that phrase that, hey, Blake Tidwell looked like vintage Blake Tidwell. I hate saying it because he hasn't been bad this year. It's just because of that injury situation. He was set back. And again, this is kind of like the middle of the season for him. And he was thrown into the SEC fire. And I thought Tony Vitello had a great quote of it's, kill or be killed and that's what blade was being thrown into and uh blade had to to knock some rust off and i I certainly think he's done that
1: yeah i think so too and i mean you're right this is this is the southeastern conference so it's like when you welcome back it's i mean no one's gonna no one's gonna sit there and take it easy on you right and so i mean that's a challenge in itself and he had to get his pitch count up he had to work on coming out of the bullpen had a midweek start i think he had what two midweek starts where he pitched an inning or two whatever and started a couple games and so you know, it's, it's getting back into form, running back into form, getting his velo up and, and and stretching his arm out. Now it's, this is the plan all along. And, and, and you know, Tom is now Hoover's here. Postseason begins this week. And I mean, I, you just sit there and you look at Tennessee's pitching and it's like every little, and we said at the time too, but every little, you know, discussion, debate, whatever questions we had about, well, what, who's going to be the odd man left out, whatever. It didn't matter. Right. It is building for this point and you're here now and they're all full, ready to go. And, I couldn't agree more. I think Chase Stillander is incredible. 67 pitches in the six innings. Just magnificent. And Blake Tidwell is ready to roll, too. So, um, yeah, I would watch out for Tennessee. I think that, obviously, and this is not breaking news, they've been this way all season long, but obviously this pitching staff is the best in the conference, in my opinion, the best in the country, and it's time to let, let them shine here in postseason play.
0: Yes, and, and not only did you set Tidwell up to start game one in Hoover – you also set him up to where if Tennessee makes it to the championship game in Hoover, he could come back and, and pitch on Sunday. He, he could start Wednesday. He could come back on on Sunday. But even if you you don't start him in that Sunday championship game or, or if Tennessee doesn't make it that far in the SEC tournament, he's going to be ready to go come regional weekend the next weekend as well. And we're, we're still going to put off – the, the strategy conversation that we briefly mentioned last week in terms of who do you start game one, who do you start game two in a, in a regional and, and so on and, and so forth, that, that all of a sudden becomes a fascinating conversation with, with Blake Tidwell starting Wednesday in Hoover because Chase Dolander's starting game one, in my opinion. And, again, it's such a hard conversation because, as I say that out loud, I remember that technically Tennessee could play Thursday or Friday. And right now, Dolander's been starting game one the last two weeks on Thursday. If Tennessee gets the schedule where it plays game one on Friday, would they just move Dolander back to Friday? Or would they start Chase Burns? Because I do think Chase Burns is is going to continue to be the, the Friday guy. So if game one is is Friday, do you let Chase Burns go out there on, on that Friday? Or do you allow Dolander to be that game two guy if Burns doesn't have a great outing, or even if he does have a great outing and Tennessee loses that first game for whatever reason, then you have Dolander kind of in the bank in a a potential elimination game, or do you just bump Dolander back and let him take game one like you have been? I think that's a fascinating conversation. And, you know, bringing it back to Tidwell, where does Tidwell fall into those plans? Because I think Dolander, Burns, Thursday, Friday, how does the schedule impact that? And, and we mentioned the dynamic duo. Would, would Tidwell bump Burns a day back, or would they save Tidwell for a potential elimination game on Sunday or a, a potential game that would put Tennessee through to the Super Regionals? It, it's such a fascinating conversation because they have so many options. And, and look, I don't, I don't, I don't want to beat this drum too hard, Eric. I, I worry about the wall that Drew Beam has hit. I, I really do. Hopefully, It's not too much. Uh, He he throws 30 or so pitches uh, against Georgia last week, and then in the series finale against Mississippi State, he comes out and he throws 37 uh, this this past Saturday against Mississippi State. So not a huge workload the last two weeks. Maybe that kind of reinvents himself or or rejuvenates himself going into the postseason. But I I really feel that he – or I don't feel. I'm really concerned that he has hit a wall – that he cannot come back from. And honestly, he's pretty low on my totem pole of of trust. I mean, I I think I would start Camden Sewell or Ben Joyce before Drew Beam right now if I'm I'm being completely honest about my feelings.
1: And it's wild to say that too because – and again, I think where you're saying that it's nothing against Drew Beam, it's just a matter of the situation we talked about the last two years, he's barely pitched. Here he is as a true freshman, he's thrown a ton – in the sec and, and i mean tennessee's not where it is today without drew beam he has been marvelous this year but i mean it's point in time to where your young arm and everything so you got to channel it back a little bit and that's what's happened the last two weeks and i'm with you that's a fascinating discussion um i mean they're gonna they're gonna pitch him somewhere right i mean he, he's going to throw this postseason no matter what Um, He's a big part of who Tennessee is and why Tennessee is at this point. But, again, it's it's a good conversation. It's a great thing to have when you have all these different options. I mean, we talk about Burns and Tidwell and Dolander and all those guys, but you also have Ben Joyce, who can come in and and give you four innings and a start if you need them. You also have Cannon Sewell, who Tony Vitello has said countless times that he's a guy that could go in there and throw the first couple of innings of a game more than an opener, but not as much as a, a true starter. Um, and also, I mean, you got Xander Secrets, who's done nothing but just dominate the midweeks. And I know that's different; I, I get that and everything. But again, he's still an option that's you know down the down the total pole as well. So, I mean, you're you're not Tennessee this year without the quality of death and the arms in the lineup. And come the season or come come the postseason, you have all these different decisions to make. But it's a luxury uh, to to make these decisions because you have so many different avenues and, and ways you can go personally. And we can talk about this more later. But like if they go the Friday, Saturday, Sunday route. I'm keeping Burns on Friday. I like Dolander on Saturday for sure. Just because if you if you have a bad game on Friday, you get him Saturday. It's a great bounce back. If you have a good game on Friday, nail in the coffin on Saturday. Right? I mean, it's it's a win win in my opinion. So it's fun. It's fun to talk about for sure. And Tennessee certainly played good baseball this past weekend to to kind of get these get the excitement level even higher if that's possible heading into postseason.
0: And, and we will certainly have those conversations uh, next week after the SEC tournament and, and maybe dabble in that conversation a, a little bit as the sec tournament goes along because uh, eric and i will be recording some mini podcasts each day in hoover for as long as tennessee remains in hoover which oh by the way the weather forecast looks terrible so it, it may be a long week and plenty of double headers i i, I just don't know it, the weather forecast does not look good but hey weathermen are probably the most wrong individuals on the planet. So maybe they'll be wrong once again. Eric, looking at the games more from an individual standpoint this weekend, (laughs) Tennessee scored 27 runs in a game on on Thursday night, which is just absurd. It it was the second highest scoring output for Tennessee in an SEC game. Uh, The 98 team scored 28 runs against Georgia back in that 98 season. It is, although it wasn't the most runs Tennessee has scored in an SEC game, it was the largest uh, margin of victory for Tennessee. And on the flip side, it was the worst defeat in the history of Mississippi State baseball within an SEC game. And it was the most runs they had given up since 1944, I believe. Pretty outrageous statistics uh, right there and, 27 runs. Tennessee got it going early in the first inning. They hit back-to-back-to-back home runs. Luke Lipschius, he hit a homer. Jordan Beck, he hit a homer. Drew Gilbert, he hit one. Uh, In the third inning, Drew Gilbert hit a sack fly. Jarrell Ortega hit a RBI double. Blake Burke hit a three-run home run that really opened up the game, and then it was just just on from there. Uh, In the fifth inning, Evan Russell hits an RBI double. Uh, Seth Stevenson hits a two-run single with the bases loaded. In the sixth inning, Jarrell Ortega hits his first of two home runs. Luke Lipsius hit his second home run in the seventh inning. Jordan Beck scored on a wild pitch. Jarrell Ortega, (laughs) again, Jarrell had the night of all nights. uh, RBI single, Evan Russell, he also had the night of all nights. He had a two-run double, Christian Scott, an RBI single. Jarell Ortega hits his second home run in the eighth inning. Logan Steenstra hit a bases-clearing double in the ninth inning. And then because Jarrell Ortega had not done enough, apparently, to that point, he hit another RBI double in the ninth inning. And just some of the statistics, the hitting statistics in this game, were just flat-out silly. Uh, for instance, uh, Ortega, a name I mentioned often, running through all those scoring plays, five for seven, four runs, eight RBIs, two doubles, two home runs. Just just silly stuff right there, Eric King.
1: Six Tennessee Vols had multi-hit days in that one. Seven volunteers had multi-RBI games, meaning they drove in two or more runs in this game. And, yeah, I mean, we always circle back to Jarrell Ortega. Just incredible, man. I mean, can you believe that there was a point in time this year where you and I both were like, all right, he's got to start producing or he's going to get replaced for sure because Christian Moore's been so good, right? And, I mean, he's, he's done nothing but just – get better and better and better and not just be one of the better guys in this lineup, but you know, lead this lineup at times, right? I mean, he's had, I believe twice this year, he's been the sec player of the week. Um, God, he, he, he's been on fire this year and, and Thursday night was absolutely incredible. You mentioned it five for seven, four runs, you know, eight driven in four runs, scored, two doubles, two home runs. That's video game numbers. That's like he's playing the show right now. Right? So uh, I don't think either one of us ever envisioned this offense scoring 20-plus runs in the opener, much less three away from 30. But we didn't think it was going to get out. We, we we thought Tennessee would have a chance to sweep or win the series, of course. But, I mean, Thursday night was incredible. I mean, this is a lineup still, too, that we talked about. It's got some pop. They're not horrible because – I mean, they've, they've, they've struggled with runners in scoring position, but it's a lineup that's got some pop. It's the pitching that's been just really, really – Bad from the reigning national champions because of the injury situation, but they had nothing to line up either on Thursday night. Twenty-seven to two—that's just that's not even a football score, man. I mean, that's that's four touchdowns minus the extra point and a safety. I mean, that's incredible.
0: Trey Lipscomb four for four. Luke Lipsius three for five, three RBIs, two home runs. Uh, Drew Gilbert two for four, two RBIs. I mentioned Ortega's crazy night. Evan Russell, four for five, three RBIs, three doubles. Uh, he he tied Todd Helton on Saturday for the most career home runs. We'll, we'll touch on that. But uh, everybody talks about you know the middle of that lineup: Eric Trey Lipscomb, Jordan Beck, Drew Gilbert. But my my prediction is, and it's not even really a bold prediction. I I, I don't I don't even really think that I'm. You know, speaking anything crazy into existence right now, but I, I think Luke Lipsius and Evan Russell are just going to absolutely help carry this baseball team throughout the postseason. I, I think they are on the verge of massive, massive postseasons. They they were awesome this weekend and Starkville. And I mentioned Evan tying Todd Helton for the career home run record of, of 38. The funny part about that is Luke Lipsius, he has 37 career home runs. He, yeah. He's one behind Evan. Th- those two, Tony Vitello put it perfectly to me, they've just seen so much baseball. Does does Luke have his flaws? Yes. But he's still a really daggum good baseball player, and, and same can be said for Evan Russell. Again, everybody talks about Gilbert, Beck, Lipscomb. Uh, the, the lineup will, will pretty much go as, as those three go, but, man, I, I really think that in the postseason – Luke and Evan are going to take a whole lot of pressure off of those guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, it helps when you've been here 10 years. <laughs> those <laughs> guys have been here for so long. And again, that's, I mean, Tennessee's using that to its benefit. And, you know, Tony was on television Thursday night doing an in-game interview. And, I mean, they're asking about Blake Burke. And you know how high both of us are on Blake Burke, man. It's just incredible. And he's, you know, Tony's asked about that. He said, man, he'd be our starting first baseman this year, but didn't have a 40-year-old over there taking every bat away. Um, but it means working for Tennessee, right? And you're exactly right, Evan Russell hitting in the eighth hole. Golly, I mean, you talk, talk about a guy that's one of the best hitters in Tennessee history, right? Hitting eighth in your lineup—that's just that's so deep. Um, love Luke in the two hole. Love Luke in the two hole, and he's been throbbing there as well. So I'm with you. Uh, I'm on board for that. But it's just—I mean, you know, baseball's a sport to where you go through many slumps. You go through some slumps, and that's okay. But even when one, yeah, if Luke's not hitting left hand hitting, if Evans struggling or whatever, if you know Gilbert, there was a time earlier in the season where he hadn't gotten going just yet. You have so many other guys that are there just to pick up the slack, and so yeah, that's why Tennessee's so great, and it's why this offense is so potent. Twenty seven runs though—that's that's an awful lot for anybody.
0: Evan Russell and Luke Lipsius are not getting enough credit for what they are doing. I, I think a, I think Evan Russell is the MVP of this baseball team. Not only is he doing what he's doing at the plate, but his transition to catcher and what he's been able to do within that transition ha- has been amazing. No, he's not Yadier Molina back there throwing guys out left and right, but Eric, the the, the glove work has has been tremendous. He, he is not losing Tennessee games back there. He, he's stealing pitches constantly throughout games. It's been told to me that he, he steals on average eight to 10 strikes a night. And for those who are unaware of what that means, it is pitches that are off the plate that are, are just the balls and he is catching it and framing it to where it is a called strike and he's stealing eight to 10 strikes a game that that is huge. And that is the the number one thing professional organizations care about nowadays is framing. And the analytics support that and they, they care more about how many strikes you can steal than how many guys you, you throw out. And I know that sounds crazy to old school baseball minds, but Eric, what Evan has done this season, I, I think he's the MVP of the team. I knew he'd come back and he'd hit 13, 15 home runs or so. He's hit 13 of them. I didn't think he'd be hitting 314 at the end of the regular season. He has become such a complete Hitter, he had such a great weekend. I, I think he had the best weekend of anybody down in Starkville because he is such a complete hitter, spraying doubles all over the field, and and Luke Lipsius as well. Both of those guys were home run hitters last year, and now they are two of the most complete hitters in the entire country. I, I mentioned Evan Russell hitting three fourteen at the end of the regular season. So's Luke Lipsius. Luke Lipsius is hitting three fourteen, and I, I again I continue to say it. I think both of those guys are going to have really, really big postseasons and help lead Tennessee to a potential national championship.
1: Yeah, and plus in the major leagues, I mean, you don't run as much as you do in college, of course, because, you know, the the catchers in the major leagues are, are they're, they're professionals for a reason, right? You make it to the show, you're pretty good. And you you have more, way more opportunities to frame pitches and to impact the game that way. And so that makes a whole lot of sense from that aspect. But he's gotten better defensively he's gotten better every single weekend, every single weekend. I couldn't agree more. He's, he's one of the unsung heroes on this team because we all remember him from last year, which is being, you know, just exploding on the home runs and stuff like that. And of course he's, you know, hit the ball well this year, but it's just his, the the unselfish attitude moving from left field behind the plates, what he's been going through, how he's been getting better, the way he's controlled the staff. It's, you know, two of the key cogs there are true freshmen. I mean, again, so it, it kind of and, and another one's brand new, right? A new transfer, so he's been incredible, and he's a big reason why Tennessee's been successful.
0: He he is not allowing the ball to get past him. He's yep. stealing pitches for strikes. He he has been phenomenal. Again, uh, Trey Lipscomb gonna win SEC Player of the Year probably. Chase Dolander, <laughs> maybe the SEC Pitcher of the Year. Nobody is as valuable to this baseball team as Evan Russell is because if Evan Russell went down due to injury. Do we even really want to finish that sentence or continue to have that conversation? Be bad. <laughs> it be would really, be really, really bad. It wouldn't be bad. It would be catastrophic, is is and what it would be.
1: A week like this week scares you a little bit, you know, playing back to back to back to back to back potentially. And I know that there could be some relief in there, but again, just goes to show you how valuable he is.
0: Yeah. And and let, let me audible here it would not be catastrophic charlie taylor is not that big of a, a drop off uh because what evan is doing with the bat is a, a plus at that position and, and there would not be a huge drop off from evan defensively to charlie taylor whatsoever but uh it, it would be bad for the baseball team that is for sure you want evan russell in your lineup every single day if if for anything his leadership he he is awesome yeah, he's a leader Yeah. So the other noteworthy thing from that Thursday game, Eric, is is that Chase Dolander wasn't able to complete his no hitter. I, I think he was well on his way to a no hitter. Six innings pitch, no hits allowed, no runs allowed. He gave up one walk and that walk was very questionable. Some very questionable calls by the umpire there. Six strikeouts, 48 strikes and 67 pitches. He was dominant.
1: Yeah, he was. And, it, I mean, it's so hard to predict a no-hitter, right? But, I mean, he was, in terms of on pace, 67 pitches in six innings, just rolling, just absolutely rolling, mowing him down, strikeout pitches working. He looked incredible. But, I mean, it's, it's in a game like this to where when he gets out of hand, you're scoring a whole lot of runs, a lot of time in between innings as the game goes on. And to the point to where, let's see, I think when he exited the game through six, Tennessee had 14 runs that are leading 14 nothing. It's like, what's the point? Like, only – only something bad could happen if you leave him in at this point. So, uh, totally get that move. Um, but he was, again, he was incredible, man. Six. I was saying the, I, I was saying it in my score update on, uh, on, on the radio Friday morning, and I'm like, you know, Tennessee historic win, twenty seven two. Chase Dolander no hits him through six. It's like, why don't you leave him in there? But you understand it. So he was, he was phenomenal, and it was good to see some other guys get some. I mean, Seacrest got in that game because it was so late. wide Evans got in there, and of course, Mark McLaughlin. Uh, A much easy – a very easy win, obviously, on Thursday to where you didn't even have to throw some of your main guys in that bullpen.
0: And then on Friday in game two, the pitching was just as dominant. Uh, Chase Burns did run into trouble there in the the bottom of the seventh inning. uh, Ends up giving three runs – giving up three runs on eight hits. But if you take that seventh inning away – uh, I, I did the math the other night, which feels like an eternity ago. Let's see. We'll do, we'll do some quick math right here. So he gave up three hits, three out of his eight in that one inning. He, he gave up one run on five hits in the other six innings. He was dominant through those first six innings. Uh, some people were frustrated with with Tony Vitello leaving him in as long as he did. And Tony even admitted that maybe he left him in there uh, a, a little too long and, but his pitch it's count was
1: enough, though. I mean, how many pitches? Right. I don't have it in front of me. I'm sorry. I'm, I would imagine that he probably threw what 15 pitches at least. Um, in he in was number at 80 seven. when
0: he came out of the game.
1: Yeah, he was at 80 when he came out of the game, but like through through six, I'm sure he was just a little over 60, right? I mean, I think he was at like 66, 67 when he came out. Yeah. So I mean, it's almost like why wouldn't you toss him? You know, trot him back out there. So I don't have a decision. I, I don't have any uh, qualms in this. If him going back out for the seventh whatsoever, he was rolling.
0: Right, and it blew up on them really quick. It blew up on Chase Burns really quick in that seventh inning. They, they led off with a double, then a single, and then the two-run double that at the time gave State a 3-1 lead. But if you go back and you look at that double that gave State the lead, it was a it was a good pitch. It was, it was a perfectly fine pitch. It was low and off the plate, and Kellum Clark just did a, a better job of, of hitting and poked it out there. and. Drove in two runs. So I, I did not have a problem. I I, I don't think people are wrong for, for mentioning that that Tony left him in there too long. Maybe you should have had a reliever ready to come in at the beginning of the inning instead of having to wait for Blake Tidwell, who is a starter for him to get warm. But I just think it's really nitpicky. And that, that's what I think it is. Burns was was really, really good all night long, low pitch count. Uh, you, you couldn't immediately go to blade because, again, he's a starter warming up, and that goes back to what I just said. Maybe you need to have a reliever up instead just in case. And, again, it's not like Burns grooved one right down the middle. It was a nice pitch low and off the plate. It was just a better piece of hitting. Uh, but I, I, I'm i really excited about what I saw from Chase Burns, Eric. I, I think it goes to show that the, the Georgia series, when he came out of the bullpen, which was essentially like a week off, I think that proved to be – very beneficial for him
1: yeah it definitely did and we've been talking about all season long to where these guys are going to have to get some rest in and and tony mentioned at midseason that they have a plan to get these guys some rest as the season goes on and we saw that unfold and he looked uh very rejuvenated i guess if you want to say it you know coming out of the pen last weekend and he looked great i thought he looked awesome um and again seventh inning it's baseball right you got to find a way in a tight ball game to to not you know let yourself get pounded like that and, and you know without getting an out in one inning and that, that that's fine but um, I thought he looked really, really good. And so, and then, and then again, Blade comes in and just looks, you know, incredible. And there's some timely hitting. And that was my favorite game of the whole series. Not the, not, not the game where Tennessee scored 27, because that's awesome. Don't get me wrong, but it's just, it is what it is. Tennessee finding a way to play good baseball, fall behind, come back late in the ball game, timely hitting, and then slam the door shut in the last two innings. And Burns started it. Tennessee's bats held, but Blade Tidwell finished it.
0: Yes. And, and Blade Tidwell is back folks that that, <laughs> that that needs to be emphasized blade tidwell is back in again like i said earlier i kind of hate saying that because it's not like he's been bad this season it's just been knocking off the the rust of having to to miss the first half of the season due to that that shoulder injury that hampered him three innings no hits no runs no walks five strikeouts and my favorite part part eric 42 pitches 30 of them or strikes. He was just pounding the zone. Uh, he, he was touching 99 up in the zone, in on the hands. You're just – you're not going to hit that. You're not going to hit that. He had good command of his secondary pitches. Blake Tidwell is is back, and he, he seemed close last week against Georgia, and it, it paid off this weekend. There There's no doubt about that. But we, we talked about Blake earlier. Uh, I want to emphasize what you brought up, and that was the scoring by Tennessee there in the eighth inning – all with two outs. Yeah, and, and that's
1: something that we didn't even mention in Around the Horn on take. Yes. show. I'm like, I meant, to ta- I meant to say this. All with two outs, timely hitting, you know, situational hitting. Good teams do it. Tennessee did it on Friday night.
0: And who started it? No other than two-hole hitter Luke Lipschius. Two outs, <laughs> smokes a double. Jordan Beck comes up, hits an RBI single. And then Drew Gilbert just absolutely smokes one. The opposite way. You, you got to tip your hat to Preston Johnson, the Mississippi State starter. He was dealing all night long, and he he leads the SEC or or led the SEC in strikeouts entering the weekend. Still does, but led it entering the weekend for a reason, and that's because he has really good stuff. and And it showed. I, I did think State left him in there just a little too long. What do you think, Eric?
1: No, I think so too. I mean, he was up to you know well over a hundred pitches, right? And, and when you're dialing up the strikeouts too, I mean, you got he had ten on the night just like with Chase Dolan or your pitch count's going to get up. And so I thought he was good, but uh, I, I think they left him in there just a little bit too long in the game like that. So it, it costs you. Right. But in a year like Mississippi state's had, when you don't have a lot of things going your way, you don't have a lot of options. You feel confident in, in the bullpen. We talked about that. I can understand why they left them out there, but I do agree. It was probably just a, a little bit too long and credit Tennessee. Again, they got it going, um, you know, when they had to and from guys who've done it before in the middle of that order, uh, you know Lipsius, Back, Gilbert, and you know they they were the reason Tennessee won, along with Blake Tidwell.
0: Yes, yes, they were, and it, it's just something about this team, man. The this is a special team. It, they they have that same feel as as last year's team, in, in which it it always feels like a, a big moment is about to happen or is right around the corner. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel like they are going to lose until they actually lose the ball game.
1: No, exactly. And we've talked about that so many times. You never feel like you're ever going to count Tennessee out until it's actually bottom of the ninth three outs and they've lost the game. And they they proved it again there on Friday night.
0: Game three was a wild one. Eric Kane, in a much different fashion. Obviously, Thursday was the home run derby for the Vols. And then Friday, it was more dramatic than anything. But Saturday, it was more back and forth. Well, at least for a little while, Mississippi State Jumped out to a one nothing lead there in the first inning. R.J. Yeager hit a Yeager bomb. (laughs) Uh, I I love that so much. Uh, And then in the top of the second inning, Tennessee immediately responded with three runs. Trey Lipscomb golfed a ball out of the ballpark for a two-run home run. Not quite sure how he hit that ball, but uh, when I saw him afterwards, I said, how in the world did you golf that ball out of there? And he said, that's my sweet spot, man. So <laughs> to any pitchers out there, uh, don't throw it that low to Trey Lipscomb because he will, he will golf it out of there. Seth Stevenson also had a sack fly and quick, quick side note, Eric. I, I thought Seth Stevenson had a nice week at the plate, had a uh, a big bases loaded single early in the series and, and was able to get on base fairly often and
1: show off the speed. He, he's played good defense all year. I, I like Seth Stevenson and where he's at. Yeah, he had a hit in every game, at least one hit in every game, drove in four runs on the weekend and um, kind of settling into that leadoff spot, like you said, because, of course, Dickey kind of manned that there earlier in the season, but he's looked good. That's something I thought of as well. Uh, You know, I I guess it was Friday night. I was like, yeah, someone that's looked pretty good. It's it's someone that we never talk about. It's Seth Stevenson. Speaking of Jared Dickey, I do think there's a good chance that we see
0: Mr. Dickey this week in Hoover. He's not playing the field, though, right? No. Yeah, yeah, which was exactly what I was going to say. He took some swings last week, and uh, he he felt good, and uh, not only did he feel good in terms of the injury, but felt good actually swinging the bat as as well. I I, I think pinch hit situations, uh, possibly DHing, uh, are the likely options uh, for him. Just as as you were commenting, uh, you're not going to see him in the field this week. I, I would be stunned. Absolutely stunned. At most, maybe he runs the bases. Uh, but here's my question, Eric, and and we, we are getting away from game three as we love to do here on the pod, but if J- if Jared's good to play, where in the world are you going to play him? Because yeah. he can't fill in for Seth Stevenson because he can't play the field just yet. And, and look, Seth doesn't deserve to come out of the lineup, but when Jared Dickey's ready to go into left field, I am putting Jared Dickey in there. Um uh, mm. Although that would be a tough call to make because I, I agree fullheartedly with what you said. And that's that Seth has really settled into that leadoff spot. And I like Seth Stevenson, man. He, he's got the tools that that speed is is undefeated. You, you cannot teach that speed that he has. It, it is an 80 on the baseball scouting report. Uh, so even that decision would be tough. But that would be the decision, in my opinion, because are you going to pull Blake Burke at this point?
1: Nope, not right now. I know we went hit list on game two and game three. I get, I get that, but yeah, you and I, we were texting with a buddy over the weekend, and you and I have had separate conversations about it. Nope, not right now. Sorry, that's baseball, right? And again, that doesn't mean you're not bringing value somewhere else. That doesn't mean that might change, but right now, I'm not changing that. Burke is staying in that lineup for sure. Yes, the the
0: the thing that concerns me about Burke is just the consistency because of him being a freshman but that three run home run that he hit in game 1 that is that's stupid stuff that 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 is that is just <laughs> you you live with the inconsistencies and, and you wait for that to come around every 10 15 at bats or or so so uh, that that'll be a fascinating conversation and decision uh, when when that takes place is what in the world do you do with Jared Dickey do you leave things no. as is or do you, do you make sure that you get him back in that lineup? I, I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. One of, of many um, that I'm glad that I do not have to make. But uh, Seth Stevenson had a really, really nice night. So Tennessee jumps out to a or really nice weekend, I should say. Uh, and then in the series finale on Saturday, Tennessee jumps out to that 3-1 lead after Mississippi State took the early lead on their solo home run on the Jaeger bomb. Uh, and then State comes back and cuts it to a one run game. Cameron James hits an RBI single, and State would not score again until this seventh inning. Jarell Ortega, he stayed hot over the weekend. He hit a two run home run that made it five to two. Luke Lipsius stole second. And this is the aggressive base running that I absolutely love and want to see more of. Perfectly executed a delayed steal by Luke Lipsius with two outs. Runners on the corner, Seth Stevenson in his speed on third. Luke delayed still. Before he gets to second, he purposefully comes up short of the bag, forcing State to get him in a pickle, and he stays in the pickle long enough, in the rundown long enough, to where Seth Stevenson can take off for home, and it forces State into a bad throw. He would have been safe anyways, even with a good throw, uh, because of that 80 speed that we just mentioned. But just beautiful base running. Beautiful base running. That's the aggressive base running that I want to see more consistently. And I mentioned this at the very beginning of the podcast. I loved seeing no base running mistakes this weekend.
1: Yeah, me too. And again, I mean that's ballsy, right? I mean, you've got to you got to have some confidence in your guys. And of course, that's a veteran over there, Luke, that is is responsible for that run. You know, drawing them out there, getting the pickle, getting the rundown. But at the one run game, right? And and again, this in the grand didn't matter in terms of when loss. You had everything locked up. But I mean, the the confidence to 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 do that, right? I mean, that just kind of speaks to, to what Tennessee is and how far along Tennessee is as a program. But that was a really good play. That was awesome. And I too second what you said. No base running blunders, if you will, this weekend. They look really good out there.
0: And then after that made it six to two, Evan Russell, Eric, and what was a really cool moment in the top of the fifth inning, hits a solo home run to left center field. And it tied the program record for home runs, tying Todd Helton, of all people, what a name to, to be mentioned with. And, and sure, Evan did it in his sixth year, but he did it in fewer at-bats than Todd Helton did. And although Evan benefited from a sixth year, he benefited from a sixth year because his fourth year, I believe it was, third or fourth year, was taken away from him, that 2020 season. Was taken away from him, so that that was a really cool moment. And uh, my my favorite part about this, uh, again, I mentioned it earlier. Luke Lipsius one home run behind <laughs> behind <laughs> Evan. It, that would be it. Would be really cool to see. No offense to Todd Helton, but see Luke and Evan break the record and finish at Tennessee with the same amount of home runs. Like if they both finished with forty, that would be really cool.
1: Yeah, records meant to be broken, right? I don't think Todd Helton would have any issue with that whatsoever. So, absolutely, I I, I think any Tennessee fan would be rooting for that. Yeah, and,
0: and at that point, it made it seven to two, and it was pretty much over from there. Drew Gilbert had a big two run double. Jarrell Ortega he had yet another RBI on an RBI ground out. Now you, you did have to have some pitching come in and and get you out of some jams and. Uh, The offense was the story. Evan Russell was was the main story out of the the hitting. Ten runs, nine hits, you take that all day long. But on the pitching side of things, uh, several guys took the mound, but the guys on the mound were Kirby Connell and Will Mabry, both worked out of bases-loaded jams. Kirby was just tremendous. He comes in in the fourth inning, works Tennessee out of a bases-loaded jam, and then he goes on to pitch two more scoreless innings after that. That was his best performance of the season, no hits, no runs, no walks, struck out one. And most importantly, 24 pitches. Tennessee. Yes. 24 pitches, 17 strikes, 24 pitches over essentially three innings is incredible.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, he's one, he's one out shy of, of three innings and he, he goes 24 pitches. That was awesome. I like, he was good. I thought Maybury was good coming out and you know stopping the bleeding, essentially. Um, I thought I just got, you know, some bad luck, right? I mean, four straight singles. I mean, that's, it's not like you're killing the guy, right? But, I mean, it's just nickel and diamond. Um, it just kind of is what it is. Ben Joyce came in right after beam. I know you started with, uh, you know, Kirby. But Joyce came in and pitched uh, an inning plus. And I thought that Sunday, or excuse me, Saturday was good for, for these guys to get some work in, right? Because, sure, there were relievers that came in and pitched the, the ending of that 27-2 game. But, I mean, McLaughlin's a guy that's, that you have relied on a lot. And Evans has pitched some. But, I mean, Xander Seacrest is not a guy that typically is thrown in there on a routine basis out of the bullpen. Tidwell came in and finished off the game, which was great for Burns. But you needed Joyce to get in there. You needed Mabry. You needed Sewell. You needed some of your main guys, Walsh, to get in there and get some work in on a Sunday. And that's what they did. And so that was uh, that was good. And a couple of them had to work out some jams.
0: Yeah, I, I, I thought you hit the nail on the head with Camden Sewell. Uh, there, there were some comments about how, how bad he was in that particular outing. But I, I just <laughs> –
1: we can do, I, I, right? <laughs> like right,
0: and th- that that's one of those I, – I don't know how you can be a baseball fan, watch that, and then think that Camden Sewell was, was just bad in that moment. I mean, he he, he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, he, he gave up four straight singles that were weekly hit that that just yeah. happened to find holes. That that's, that's what makes baseball so tough, man. Uh, ben Joyce, uh, Drew Beam, th- they weren't bad, but they definitely didn't pitch – up to their capability, I'd say, struggled with command from time to time. Uh, again, not, not a poor outing, but uh, would have liked to see maybe a, a little bit better command, especially with Joyce hit two batters, walked a, another one. Uh, the fastball was buzzing, as it typically is. Didn't give up any runs, uh, but would have liked to see the command a, a little bit better. Only 19 strikes on 37 pitches. Uh, and then again, Drew Beam continues to battle. I think he's battling through the freshman wall that he has hit. And and I, I even hate lumping him in to just the, the typical freshman wall. I, I just think it's so much different than the typical freshman wall because he didn't pitch his junior season because of the COVID cancellation. And then he didn't pitch his senior year because he had Tommy John. So it's just unfortunate circumstances for him still think he can really really help this team in the postseason and and as I said earlier, hopefully these last two weekends where he hasn't had to pitch as much, hopefully that will rejuvenate him going into Hoover and going into the postseason as as well. So uh, again I, I thought Evan Russell summed it up perfectly in in terms of Camden Sewell just touching on this again because it, it was a great quote from evan evan told me that he thought that camden Sewell had the best stuff of anybody <laughs> on, on saturday and he's the guy that got hit hardest and you mentioned will mabry he gives up the solo home run uh tony vitello wasn't mad about it he just tipped his hat to the hitter uh for state that that did hit the home run and said that that guy's a good one and just kind of made a better swing than you know a, a bad pitch may
1: have have indicated yeah and so i mean i Again, that's why baseball is so difficult. You fail seven times out of ten, and you're considered great at what you do. Right? It's just it's so much patience and in, in, in the sport of baseball. And that's sometimes they get you. And I thought I thought Mabry was good uh, on Saturday. I thought Connell was good. I thought Kirby was good. Um, I thought I thought a lot of these guys were good. I mean, basically for me, Ben, I know you were there and you were sitting in the stands because as beautiful as that park is. Um, Sitting you on the second row of the media where you can't see. I'm not sure how that works, but I mean, by the time Saturday, you know, Tennessee jumped out there and maybe probably, but probably by the time they scored their, what was it? The seventh run in the fifth inning. I was like, all right, it's time to wrap this thing up and let's start thinking about Hoover. Uh, at that point, I wasn't even thinking about this game anymore. And I was just thinking about the other, I was scoreboard watching around the SEC on Saturday. There were some interesting scores there were some coaches that didn't come out and speak to the media afterwards that was a whole that was a whole thing but i was more focused on that by the time the fifth inning rolled around for tennessee baseball and i don't blame you one <laughs> bit <laughs> it, isn't were, it uh, uh, sorry but I, I again we'll we'll talk about this on tuesday but tennessee's going to wait the winner of vanderbilt all mess jeez <laughs> how about that yeah how how about
0: my uh potential press box seating there on on wednesday can't wait for that (laughs) i can't help but laugh i'm done with you i'm moving on we we will reflect and uh give some big picture thoughts on the sec tournament on our preview podcast on tuesday but before we get out of here today, do want to reflect on the regular season real quick because Eric, it's as dominant of a regular season as you are going to find: thirty-four and three at home, fifteen and four away from Lindsey Nelson Stadium, and thirteen and two in true road games. And you you had to slip up at Kentucky, but Tennessee went to Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Florida. And Mississippi State this season, and I don't care that each of those teams have their issues. We just laughed at the Ole Miss-Vanderbilt <laughs> uh, game, uh, single elimination on, on Tuesday. Florida has been inconsistent this season. Mississippi State went from winning the national championship to not even making it to the SEC tournament in Hoover. I understand yep. that these four teams have had their issues. But for Tennessee to go on the road and go 12-0 in those games speaks volumes of – the the regular season that Tennessee had and just how far this program has come under Tony
1: Vitello. No, it truly does. And you're exactly right. 13 and 2 in true road games. And I mean it was just a it was a bad weekend for Tennessee and Kentucky. So imagine if Tennessee was themselves that weekend and that road record could have been 14 and one, 15 and zero. But I mean, regardless, it's it's just incredible. You wrapped up the SEC East three weekends ago. You finished you finished winning it by 10 games in the SEC East. You win the whole SEC by six games. Um, sure, yes, there are some teams that are down this year. That's fine, but that does not take away from just how dominant, not good, dominant Tennessee was in this regular season. And it was a whole lot of fun. It was a, it was a really really fun team throughout the regular season. And you hope that, again, I, we we talk about it all the time. It's like wire to wire. It's you know dominant teams. You, you hope they can sustain it and continue to thrive. In the postseason, there's no indication. There's nothing that gives me the belief that they won't because they haven't at all this year. Um, but it, it's certainly been a fun regular season. You just hope that there's a lot more season left. You certainly hope so. And yeah, that that season part two,
0: if, if you want to call it that, it, it starts Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday. Tennessee will have two games in Hoover. There, there's only four guaranteed games remaining this season, Eric. The, the two in Hoover, and I, I kind of paused and hesitated through saying that sentence in, in terms of the real season starting now, and I paused because I, I would even push back on what I, <laughs> what I myself even said, and, and that's that the real season starts after Hoover. Of course, Tennessee wants to, to go out and, and win the SEC tournament, but uh, this team, as, as dominant as it was in the regular season – It will be remembered for what it does throughout regionals, super regionals and and Omaha. And part of me hates that, but it, it just is what it is. And, and I kind of bypass Hoover because the Mississippi state team that won the national championship, it got eliminated by Tennessee in the sec tournament, 12 to two. (laughs) It was run ruled in the game in Hoover in which it got eliminated from. So uh, Tennessee can go zero and two in Hoover, and if it goes on to win the national championship or or make it to the end of Omaha, people are going to quickly forget about that. So uh, maybe not the the real season just yet, but I, I think everybody gets the gist of, of what I was getting at.
1: Yeah, you're one hundred percent right. Everything you just said is com- completely right. Um, I know I don't say that often towards you, but th- that's exactly what is happening right now. It's but a new problem, uh, <laughs> but like. Yeah, it's a, you can't have that mindset. Obviously, Tony Tony's not preaching that mindset. Tony doesn't even have that mindset. He's too much of a competitor. But from where we're sitting, it's like, okay, Hoover, get in there, do some things, win the whole thing. That's great. But you're exactly right. It's okay. It's it's time to. I mean, you know, backs against the wall time the following weekend because truly that's when your season could be over. Tennessee goes over in Hoover, which will not happen. Tennessee goes over. I mean, you're still you're still playing, right? You're still playing. So. But you want things to be rolling. You want things to be, you know, trending in that right direction. You want guys to have good outings and all that. So uh, here's the Tennessee plan on throughout Sunday, winning the whole thing in Hoover. And, here, and here's the other sneaky fun thing about Hoover: it's against SEC
0: teams, SEC teams that do not like you if you're yep. Tennessee, and if you're Tennessee, you don't like Tim Corbin either. And you could potentially see him on Wednesday afternoon, four thirty p.m. Central. Time. So Tennessee, we do know the game one time. That is 4:30 p.m. Central. It'll be against eight-seed Vanderbilt or nine-seed Ole Miss. And Eric, how about the reason that Vanderbilt is the eight-seed? And in that game, they were swept by LSU this weekend and got absolutely crushed, absolutely crushed in the series finale on Saturday. And there, there were some odd scores on Saturday. Arkansas was killed by Alabama. Georgia had to come back and uh, avoid being swept by Missouri. They they've lost, Georgia's lost four straight series going into the postseason. Auburn struggled up in Kentucky. I'm, I'm telling you, it's something about Lexington. And <laughs> at the time I preached that I'm, I'm not worried about this weekend. I think it was more circumstantial. I think the two weekends since has proven that.
1: So I was doing a hit with somebody uh, that covers the Kentucky baseball or excuse me, the Auburn baseball team. Uh, we were doing something unrelated, but um, he was like, yeah, man, we're uh." up in Lexington and you know it's raining i think we're going to have a double header tomorrow and i'm like hey Lexington's a weird place man hope you make it out Uh, field okay cuz it certainly gave tennessee a run for its money a couple weeks ago and that's uh it, it's funny how things work out so you're exactly right it's just funny i was talking to that guy it's like ah, no nah, they'll be fine well, you know, they were not fine they were not because they split the double
0: header i'm telling you something, yeah. something in the water up there don't yeah. drink the water in lexington kentucky in fact don't drink the water anywhere in kentucky just, just don't do it. Don't do it at, at all. Don't, don't even think about it. So, uh, Eric and I will. I would be pile back.
1: on, but I, I grew up drinking uh, Jefferson County water, so I'm pretty much immune to anything. A lot of lime in that water. <laughs> is is that what's wrong with Austin Price? No, see, he drank that Hamlin County water. I don't know what's in that up there. There's a lot that of things wrong with worse, Austin right? Price. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, there's a lot of things wrong with AP. Up, uh, we can't get into that here on this on this pod.
0: Yes, but if anybody wants to pay me good money to have a tell all. On Austin Price, uh, a a podcast, just telling all in terms of Austin Price. I I would gladly take the highest bid and and go home with it.
1: Overturn serve,
0: though. (laughs) (laughs) He's Eric Kane. I'm Ben McKee. We will be back with a SEC tournament preview podcast on Tuesday. And until then, we hope you all have a great start to your week.